0: Support for Yagni is provided by Arrows. Arrows is the tool for onboarding, sales, and success teams to close revenue faster and create happy customers. Give everybody the answer to what's next with customer onboarding software that connects directly to HubSpot. You're probably the ideal guest to have on this podcast because (laughs) you have like some of the best uh, hot takes, but I think you are also like pretty nuanced and willing to talk about these things and i think that they are the good kind of hot takes where you've thought deeply about something and know how to like market a message instead of you know you're just shooting off uh, about something They that
1: they, they sneak up on you like like a really spicy curry or something and you're like oh wait there's more there's more to this than i thought yeah
0: I, It's a heat it's a heat that builds you know <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I I think that's true, and I'm I'm happy to be here when I found out that you had a podcast called Yegni. I immediately loved it, and I didn't even know what it was about. I've got probably 30 draft blog posts that start with, you might not need, and then X
0: technology. Today, I'm joined by Justin Searles. He's the co-founder of Test Double, a consultancy that builds great software and great teams. Justin is a pattern recognition machine and is especially good at spotting things that will fail five to ten years down the line in a code base. But he is perhaps best known for his salty hot takes on Twitter. On today's episode of Yagni, we talk about whether or not we really need RSpec, running a test suite for CEOs, the burdens of DSLs on non-native English speakers, and I goad Justin into creating his own RSpec competitor. Welcome to Yagni. we had talked a little bit, and one of the things you had mentioned uh, was just kind of the general state of testing, but more specifically RSpec. And so I went digging through, uh, you, you know, your Twitter account, and I found out that this is not a new hot take for you. Uh, you know, as far back as, you know, I could find things in the 2012s, but uh, in 2016, you had a, a popular thread uh, where you, you wrote Rubyists, uh, what's something you like about RSpec? what are, uh, what's an advantage of reusing over mini test and in what context. And there's a whole host of, uh, good replies. It, it was really interesting for me as someone who sort of came up in that, like early 2010s era of Ruby, cause th- there's, there's some of the same people. And then there's some different people that have sort of, uh, moved on yeah. from the community. But, uh, I thought it was, it was a really interesting thread. The one that stuck out to me was that, uh, uh, Aaron Patterson Tenderlove had uh, replied, and he basically said, "Like it has a book. That's that you know. That's what he likes about RSpec." <laughs> and I know, I, and I
1: know the people who wrote multiple editions of that book, and they're good people, and 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 I like them personally. Um, I will mention yeah. that Aaron is the one who deconverted me from RSpec. So when he and I started pairing together, he was the first one to be like, "Oh, you're using RSpec? Yuck! Here's a bunch of reasons why I hate RSpec," and he uh, slowly convinced me to. To shed it,
0: yeah. So in this in this same thread, I think you really had a uh, a good response, and uh, you basically said that uh, good tools should yield good outcomes for people that are less disciplined than Corey Haynes. <laughs> <laughs> and, where, where for uh, the listener
1: here, if you don't know who Corey is, he's a dear friend, and he is way more disciplined and rigorous than most of us will ever hope to be.
0: Yes, to yes. So yeah, I think the 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 summary is that uh, you know a good tool should make a good outcome for. Uh, you know, most of, most of the users or it, you shouldn't need to sit at the like extreme, uh, you know, the, the 1% of, of people using the tool to have a a good outcome with it.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. So, um, I think when people find out about RSpec, there's a lot in it that is sort of, um, like, a a vestigial, like artifact of Mm -hmm. where it came from. Right. Uh, so. I don't. I don't think that the common person coming into the Rails and Ruby ecosystem these days uh, is becoming familiar with RSpec from like its origin as like a, a behavior-driven development, and uh, I know like kind of the Dan North school of like this is how you can get non-technical people to write specs that get converted into executable programs, or uh, this is how you can like. R- uh, you know, really focus on testing behavior over implementation. So features like, you know, subject and, um, some of the, the DSL in RSpec spec now probably like looks completely bizarre to somebody that isn't coming yeah. into it. Um, so maybe you could just help us kind of walk back in time and do a little bit of archeology. span Like how did we, how did we get to the place where we have this tool that is, I don't know. I haven't looked at any numbers lately, but it seems like it is the, uh, the the preferred testing framework. But it has all these sort of idiosyncratic features that people might just write off as like that's just Ruby people doing Ruby stuff.
1: And at one time, maybe this is still true. I believe it was the most popular non built in gem. Full mm-hmm. full stop. Because there's you know so many QA departments yeah. around the world that depend on RSpec. Um, yeah. So rewinding the clock a little bit, I think it's important to understand RSpec in the context of what was going on at the time. So, you know, I started programming professionally in 2007. Um, I'd been doing kind of like oddball projects and internships for several years before then. And my testing experience at that time was limited to um, JUnit and maybe NGUnit in, in Java land where, you know, a test was a class that was symmetrically opposed to the thing that you were testing. Each method that started with the word test was, uh, you know, itself a test uh, method of that. And you'd write some example code in three phases, like arrange the setup and then act the thing that you're calling and then an assertion um, or maybe multiple assertions. And, uh, you know, JUnit, the way that it works is it'll instantiate the class, run a single test, run the setup and, and tear down hooks. Uh, before and after, and then throw that instance away and create a new instance for the next test method, so that you don't have any test pollution inside that class. Now, like if you're a, a diehard uh, object-oriented programming fan, that's like heresy because like that's not what classes are for. But it is a tidy and sort of symmetrical way, and it, it could leverage all of the tools of like if you're using a an IDE like Eclipse. To um, very quickly navigate between alternate files, uh, jump into the implementation really quickly, like because they're just classes and methods, the tooling didn't have to know any better, and so that was a huge advantage. Um, when I found Agile uh, and and I I was kind of you know tiptoeing in the Ruby community in and out for a few years, uh, Extreme Programming w- designed teams in a way that I think we don't think about very much anymore, which is like. You'd have a bullpen, quote unquote, uh, of, you know, some number of developers, like let's call it five, maybe a five developers and two QA people and a, a business analyst uh, and a product owner. And, th- and that composed a, a cross-functional team. And the most important thing for any team to do, other than like build the thing, was to maintain really clear um, directional alignment on what are we here to do, how will we know we've done it, and, you know, where are we at? And the best way to do that when you have like you know relatively non-technical people, like there's no assuming that the QA folks code or that the BA people are going to be looking at your tests or whatever, uh, would be to write tests in a way that everyone on the team could at least read them. Like read mm-hmm. like this is what this test says to do. And in in some ambitious cases, I had a couple you know teams I was on where we'd have the um, the test runner would literally be executable in like a browser window. So like the product owner would have a URL they could go to, they could click play. They'd actually watch all of the test cases that they'd agreed to. And we'd actually, you know, in our demos, um, uh, you know, every week, we'd show off what we did. They'd look at the tests and those were literally the acceptance criteria. And if the test passed, they were like, all right, cool, ship it. And then the next Monday of planning, we'd um, go to the, you know, a document projector with a sharpie or whatever, and like literally write out given, when, then, and build that. And so, we we would build those cases, the 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 natural language mapping um, using JBehave and Java annotations. Uh, Cucumber came along after that as as like another tool to kind of you know express your design, your authorial intent when you're building it right from the scratch. And RSpec uh, again, you know, as a as a Dan North wrote JBehave, and I did he start RSpec or did Dave Chalemsky? I don't really know. The, I wasn't there on day one, but I was a pretty early RSpec user. RSpec was sort of a happy medium of, like, this is all still Ruby. There's not some, like, weird indirection to some English script file somewhere.
0: Right. We're not but, programming our test suite with, you know, yeah.
1: expressions. But yeah. there's an awful lot of strings. <laughs> there's an awful lot of, like, you know, like... It should do this, win that, and Dan had some great blog posts about like how to structure this well. Um, it was uh, in being completely charitable to like the 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 best case, like when you're doing it right. Uh, it was really helpful in finding that alignment with that cross-functional team. And in the perfect case, it, it was like, okay, cool. This is a way to build trust inside the team. The product owner not only sees the app working, they see all these sort of like less visible requirements that they might have about, I don't know, password complexity or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, those are all, or like a logging, right? Like, oh, even the logging stuff is passing. So I know I can check that box, right? And I think one big problem... Uh, and you'd mentioned this previous referring to a tweet I said about like, you know, the the tools having to serve the kind of common case, not the lowest common denominator case, but like the common case is like most teams don't look like that, right? So like, <laughs> right. And especially now, like, yeah, yeah especially mean, now,
0: like how would someone, you compare like the average is, team you see now? Yeah. I mean, like someone that is a manual QA tester is like, uh, that was way more common. I feel, you know, 15 yeah. years ago than, than now. and. Even, even someone that is just a test engineer, I always get sort of confused when I see some of the bigger companies that have like a soft, what is it like software engineer in test? S- yeah. Microsoft made that one famous. Yeah. And I think like Amazon has that as a, as a title and it's, it was always just kind of confusing to me that, um, at the same time that like having programmers write automated tests was sort of becoming table stakes. We were also saying that There's also like another parallel career track that is like people that are just doing the test automation stuff. And like you said, back in the day, it used to be that there was, you know, people that would not even be able to necessarily write the automated test, but they could follow a like literal script and, and, you know, like you would do in, uh, like the elementary school uh, days when you would like write out the program to like make a peanut butter sandwich. Right. That was was right. Exactly. The style we would do of like click on this button and like, make sure that you see this string and people would manually. And lots
1: of companies wrote basically like Gherkin, the cucumber DSL, like cookbooks of like, here's like a thousand different, you know, fancy sentences that we've built. With right. like kind of Mad Libs style fill in the blank here, and you can automate the website. So you might not be a programmer per se. You might only have like maybe one quality engineer to ten quality assurance like testers. Um, and the and the 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 engineer would like just maintain the cookbook, and all right. of the right. uh, QA folks would like write those scripts. The problem is like whenever anything went sideways, or when uh you kind of added up all of the cost of of that indirection from a performance perspective uh, which, which, you know, obviously the QA folks don't have the experience to do.
0: Yeah. So we ended up in a world where these, uh, like as the teams were changing, sort of the tools are changing, um, uh, but maybe not as quickly. Um, and so we end up with, uh, with our spec coming out, it's not a full, like write in English, uh, DSL variant, but the the interesting thing to me, I don't know if it was ever the default or not, but there used to be a mode in RSpec where it would like print out like uh, uh, your test strings in sort of a,
1: yeah, indented yeah format, it was, right? it was a, it was a doc formatter. I think you can yeah. still say tack tack doc at the command line and it'll print
0: it out that way. Right. So instead of getting your like screen of green or red dots, you would, you would have it sort of spit out these sort of, I don't know, it was almost like a uh, poetry or something like a, it, it, <laughs> like little blurb it, it demoed-
1: of- it demoed very well when I was right. showing it to like, you know, business leaders. Right. Cause now they were like, Oh, this, I understand this is like, you know, progress. Right. Um,
0: right. And I, I think that that's something that's interesting and not really, um, something to take for granted is this was still kind of the days of like getting buy-in from companies for some of these practices. Right. So oh, totally. having, having a demo that worked well for, you know, uh, an executive was actually, you know valuable in getting budget and funding for these things right so it may it may be nice. silly now that no one is gonna actually read these like uh, pseudo like paragraphs that are written and be like, oh yeah you can see here where this line turns red that means that that step in the process is is not there but if it helped you you know get approval to hire uh, you know an agile coach or uh, to get you know the deadline shifted because you had uh you know more, more leniency from, from, uh, the bosses, uh, up above. That is an interesting, like side benefit that probably doesn't matter anymore, but was probably really important in, you know, 2012. And in, in
1: addition to the, um, you know, the dog and pony show of like, you know, the ceremonious sort of like running of the tests each week or something and seeing what passes and what fails and what's going to go into production and so forth. There was also, um, quite a lot of just excitement about how it would improve design, right? So like mm-hmm. you would have clear alignment between product and engineers, and truly like the only projects that I ever became friends with the product people, like truly were like teams like this, where every day I'd go and check with them for clarification, and we'd be working really hand in glove to understand like you no know, what do you, not not only like what do you want, but like why do you want that, and really drill in. And so the the dream uh, of you know, extreme programming done right uh, and using RSpec as a tool or Cucumber as a tool for that really can work. I think that the, apart from the main issue, right? Like most teams don't look like that, didn't look like it then, don't look like it now. And if everyone is a developer on a team currently, like we're all engineers and we're all, you know, like we all understand code. Like, what are we, Who are we writing these like kind of flowery, flowery, flowery English strings for right. uh, to to express our authorial intent to? Uh, when you know, example code of three lines, if it's well factored code, if it's a smart API, should be self-explanatory most of the time, right? Uh, who are we serving by that? So, like, that's the typical, I think, argument against RSpec. But there's an additional one, which is when you think about the design of a tool and the benefits, people, especially early on with RSpec would talk about the design benefit. Oh, like don't call it test-driven development, call it test-driven design because this is what's shaking out the why, the value proposition, the value story of this application that we're building. And by showing in explicit terms, like how this application is going to serve its various stakeholders, then we make the business case, like you were saying to the executives, you know, like this thing's going to make or save money. This thing's going to provide such and such security to avoid liability and so forth. And that continuity is like not worth nothing. It's like truly pretty valuable. And mm-hmm. if you're just developers writing, you know, kind of like normal J unit style unit test or mini test style unit test, it is still you lose that benefit and it becomes your responsibility to like replace it with right thoughtfulness. Like it, you, the the tool isn't going to frame your mindset for you about like, why am I here? And granted, you know, you use RSpec enough and you got, you're on your 3000th spec. I really doubt you're like coming fresh, you know, bright eyed yeah, and bushy tailed yeah, thinking like, yeah. oh yeah, like it should do what, you know, after a while, it, it,
0: everything becomes
1: rote. Right. Um, the, but that, the that,
0: junior that, The junior product manager of the, you know, division is not coming in there and being wowed every week by, uh, you know, that's exactly green text that is showing up on the screen.
1: No. Yeah. Your eyes start to glaze over after a while, but like that really, if you think about like, that's what they were touting and that was the benefit and the expressiveness, like expressing yourself was the value. That's a very front loaded benefit when you think of Mm. like the life cycle of software. So if like 60% of the tools complexity and our time and attention to it are like, doing everything right the first time because software is expensive like that's a valuable aim but like software also lives a long time and so if you're on year 10 of maintaining a big nasty rails code base then you know you start to wonder like if I'd use different tools would I have different benefits like I'd much rather than have very expressive uh, test because like by year 10, I know what the app does. I know why it does the things that it does, you know, Mm -hmm. like I've reread like all of these tests over and over again until again, my eyes glazed over. But like, I'd much rather have like, really good reliability of those tests or a lack of test pollution or like clarity about scoping or like you know greater refactorability yeah. of those tests or introspectability where like you know if i'm doing ruby and i have classes and methods i can slice and dice those with a little bit of metaprogramming much more easily than i can with a bunch of anonymous nested procs mm-hmm. uh, and that is something that i don't think we talked about very much a decade ago and it, yeah. and a lot of teams are hurting with now
0: well the interesting thing too about in a rails context um if I think about a 10 year Rails project, actually, in my experience, the thing that's been the most burning pain is like not being able to upgrade Rails, yeah. right? It's like getting behind and then you're forever behind. You can never find anybody that wants to do the upgrade. You can like it, it hurts you in like recruiting people because they're like, well, I don't want to work on a legacy Rails app. Sidebar. Testable yes. has helped lots and
1: lots of companies with Rails upgrades, including great companies like GitHub and Gusto. And if your company is stuck with a uh, older version of Rails, we are uniquely good at helping companies with it. So yes. end of will, end of free advertisement.
0: I will vouch for that. But it's just kind of interesting too, of like if our if if part of RSpec was helping um, helping you with the design of your code, and the primary use case of RSpec is in Rails apps and Rails itself is somewhat inflexible to being uh designed in a different way especially if you want to just be able to easily upgrade versions um yeah it, it does make me think how much of it like would have been helpful when when they were you know building out rails or like establishing the patterns to have this like right design environment but then you should really just throw it away and say okay we figured out how we want the basics to work and now we don't we we don't necessarily need this like free space uh the structure design. is
1: necessarily fixed you know to be honest i'm kind yeah. of elite i'm eliding a lot of my own culpability here i was a huge r-spec like booster um you know uh friends of mine like uh chad Humphreys is the reason why r-spec 2 literally worked he like it was a, it was kind of a rat's nest uh from what i've been told uh my friend zach dennis wrote the like uh uh, uh second edition and i think the best edition of the r-spec book kind of explaining you know like the rspec and cucumber as productivity tools um, it were really it was a special moment in a lot of ways and i really pushed it but i failed to think about some of the externalities like for example there are five ways to do everything you know like you right. could have a style where i use subject I mean, some people don't like subject at all or i use let or like i will have every single uh, rspec construct uh, as a one-liner block to some english whereas other teams will just use like you know. It, it procs exactly like they'd use mini test tests where they'd like maybe do all of the test setup in there and, and the test action and the test assertion, right? right. Um, the right c- way to do Custom
0: matchers it. or regular, you know.
1: Some people were like, you know, they, they'd see symmetrical like, oh, you've got a user rb file and you've got a user spec rb Well, that's bad because that means you're mirroring your implementation. It should be about the benefits you get. And so you'd have some teams that have like, you know, almost like, uh, just storybooks of like, you know, kind of like <laughs> a, a labyrinth of different kind of files and stuff and nothing maps to anything. And of course, cause everything's just procs. There's almost no way to like, you know, get reverse referential, you know, backlinking to figure out like where the code is. And so you'd have these test failures that were just like really hard to, to nail down. Like all of that was lost on me when I was just excited about like having really meaningful conversations about like, what should the system do? And you said a good, great point about rails. Like These same people, including myself, who were pushing RSpec at the time, were also pushing like, don't put all of your code in Rails subclasses. And I still say that. Like, don't don't implement your entire application as a subclass of an active record model or uh, an application controller. And yet, uh, you know, still people put a lot of complexity there and you experience a lot of design pain. Like, a mocking library or RSpec might tell you, give you a pain signal to say, like, this is a bad design. Mm -hmm. But like, to your point, like... Rails's design is pretty fixed for good reason. Uh, and so if you're, you know, tests are telling you that Rails has a design problem, you don't own that design. You're just stuck with it. And so now you're just experiencing useless pain.
0: Right, right. And instead of instead of letting the test guide you and say, this is painful, we need to think about this, you know, in another way.
1: You just text DHH. You say, hey, what <laughs> if we just changed the API for controller so you could instantiate them? And he's like, right, oh, right. lol. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Yep.
1: There are a few other curveballs I think that are issues with our spec that don't get talked a lot about. I'm mm-hmm. kind of curious your opinion on this. So one is, and, and I've mentioned this before, and it, it, it's resonated with a few people, is when you work on uh, work with teams where not everyone speaks English. Yes, uh, having a lot of English language uh, be the driver, be the definition, a uh, source of truth of like what the expectation is, mm-hmm. r- increases the burden for folks for whom English is a second language or not a language at all versus code, which is kind of a lingua franca because you can, you can assert it, you can test it, you can play with it, you can see it. I'm kind of curious how that.
0: Yeah. I, I was interested to hear the the fleshed out version of this because I did see you had sort of uh, mentioned this before that it is, you know, a, a sort of unfair to non-native English speakers to, uh, to write this. Um,
1: if, if you go to like Redmine, the, 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 the issue tracker for the Ruby programming language, mm-hmm. and you see um, feature requests or even just kind of like issue definitions. Sometimes you'll see and they're normally, you know, they're a, uh, a Western looking name or face and they'll they'll write 10 paragraphs of like very high reading level of like why this feature is really great or why this thing should get deprecated or how this like very arcane bug is happening. And the first reply is very often one of the, you know, the vast majority of Ruby committers um, uh, and, and Ruby core members are Japanese. Uh, the, one of the first replies is almost always, could we see some code? Because we understand code and everyone who does Ruby like speaks Ruby, right? Right. right. And then you got to get into the brass tacks really quickly. Now, obviously not every team's going to be international or kind of, you know, East meets West. Uh, but it's important to kind of consider that there is some clarity in like, you know, if, if the goal of uh, cucumber and RSpec was supposedly like, you know, example driven mm-hmm. development or behavior driven development, you can express those as English. And it's very useful when like you're most concerned with communicating with product people or non-technical people. Right. But over the course of 10 years, 10 years from now, like the person I'm most concerned about understanding my test is like the n- developer, three developers after me, who's trying to understand right. what the hell I was trying to do. Yeah. And in that case, you, you know, example driven co- uh, testing is great, but the best example you could write is like code that works. <laughs> Not yeah, English that describes it.
0: And I think that is, it is interesting too. I mean, Ruby and rails in particular does have, um, uh, I, I feel like a more uh, different language diversity in, in terms of um, contributors right I mean Ruby like you said has a big uh, cohort of, of Japanese uh, speaking folks and but even even rails I don't think I don't think DHH is, would say that you know English is his uh, first language uh, there's lots of Spanish language uh, contributors to the framework and, and things like that and even 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 kind of like the old school like J style of where your test was maybe still a sentence, but it was still like code. So you would like put underscores instead of spaces, like probably does make you write things that are closer to code than, than closer to prose, which I think RSpec for sure leads you to, right. And even, even trying to do things like, uh, like, do you, do you assume when you're reading it that like it is like part of the sentence? So mm-hmm. you know, describe, describe like user creator, like it creates users uh, but like the it is not part of the string that you're doing, so yeah, I could definitely see how that would be sort of uh, needless like mental burden for non-native English speakers.
1: Yeah, so if we for could like
0: pretty low cost or pretty low benefit, right? If if we're saying that actually we're not we're not really doing much with the like document mode of of our spec these days or the you know the cucumber style uh, English parsing.
1: There's, I think, some salience to uh, an argument that both of us have kind of glossed over here and is unrepresented in this conversation, but would be represented if the 10-year younger version with slightly more hair than me, Justin, was here in the room, and that is that we should test like the the extrinsic behavior and the in- intentional like API design as opposed to the implementation. Mm -hmm. And so when, when people would advocate for RSpec, they would often be saying, test it for like the outcome that you want, not like what you want the internals of the thing to do. And I think it's important to remember that mock objects were becoming in vogue in Ruby in a way that was like, I think unhelpful, uh, at the time where people were sort of mocking stuff out willy nilly, like you you'd, you'd, you'd be testing a user and then you'd just mock out all of the methods on the user that you were maybe uninterested in, or that right. were inconvenient for getting some test of some other method done. And of course you're getting zero real confidence there. And one solution to this, of course, is like design better APIs that, that have inputs and outputs and are more functional and less stateful. Uh, and another solution is to like you know keep your tests and your code at arm's length from one another, uh, as if to like present, prevent yourself from uh, you know losing that black box clarity of like does the thing work or not, right? And I think our spec and, and our spec promoters tacked on, uh, to the ladder where it was like you know we got to have safety scissors to to prevent you from even thinking about. Uh, invoking this as if you invoke uh, as if as if you were testing its internals, quote unquote, versus mm-hmm. like you know
0: its public yeah. API. Yeah, and so then that kind of led into like the fast test sort of yeah movement or whatever. I, I'd be curious. Do you think that that was a net positive or negative for? I'll say for Rails, um, but if you have wider thoughts on like the testing in
1: general. I remember a conversation that I had with Aaron in like 2013 about this. Cause like um, I'm good friends with Gary Bernhardt, Corey Haynes, and Aaron Patterson, three people I look up to for different reasons. And for uh, all of them are, are way better at this job than I am. And I remember being very excited about and bought into the, the the quote unquote fast specs meme. And if you're not familiar with that, what it, what it basically was, especially in the era of like early rails three, Um, it was so expensive to start up a Ruby process that required rails that you'd be talking like just to run a single empty test that, that just did nothing, no assertions. It might be like one and a half to three seconds, depending on your machine and like how big the application is and so forth uh, until you like got feedback from your terminal. And if you're, especially if you're Gary Bernhardt, that is way, way too slow. Like you should be able to ask, uh, questions of your computer as if you're in live conversation with it. And so anything more than 50 millisecond uh, millisecond uh, response times is like uh, a burden on your ability to retain attention and, and energy and momentum as you work with your computer. And because of that, you know, just sort of limitation of our computers, of SSD speeds, of Ruby's gotten a lot faster. Rails has gotten a lot leaner and smarter about what it requires. Tools like BootSnap have made it uh, much more cacheable, of course and things are faster now so we don't think about it as much then but it was like a real going concern at the time Of like wow these 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 suites are taking hours and hours and hours and if we can at least have like a lot of our business logic which is just pure logic and doesn't really need to be real all the way to the database kind of integration tests uh, as a separate suite that we could run really quickly we could have our developers like actually running that chunk of tests before they commit and before they push and before it wastes two hours in ci and that was i think like a total net benefit it was just meeting the moment of like where we were now i remember at the time though i was talking to aaron and i was like see and this is why we should do this and he's like no this is why people should invest in ruby and rails and make them faster like if you're doing go, going through all these hoops to kind of like you know test it in sort of this compromised state where it's not really how it would really be, uh, right. the solution is like, you know, make the thing faster. and and instead of making that kind of like fundamental investment, we had to wait a decade uh, for for Ruby and Rails to catch up to the point where you know actually, whether or not I'm inheriting from mini test test or from uh, uh, active support test case, it's pretty much the same speed.
0: Right, right, and we have fleets of you know micro VMs that can spawn thousands of processes, and we don't have you know uh, Jenkins running on a computer in the closet that can do right. one one job at a time. A and,
1: decommissioned workstation. Yes, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and it does. I think just highlight like the fact that this topic is so complicated, and the trade offs are really like high stakes because while i think that uh you know isolated testing to get faster feedback is like sort of virtuous i think it probably came at the cost of uh sort of demonizing uh you know system system level integration level specs which i think do have more of like a confidence building um like you have more confidence if your full system test suite passes that your application is working than if your unit tests pass, right? Especially if you're doing a lot of mocking and uh, things like that where, where, you know, hey, I've used like VCR to record this API response and it's never going to change. But then actually in production, it's completely it's completely broken. It's it's sort of, it's tricky to, you got to keep the message simple. When you want
1: you, when you want people to do something that maybe they don't want to do or that isn't particularly fun the the more you can make it uh either seem fun or otherwise just be really straightforward and digestible, such as like everything we do has to have a test for it, right That's a right. real simple message when you get into the weeds of like everything you do that doesn't literally need to actually touch the database to assert that its behavior is proper like that you know uh, uh should go into a fast spec folder over here and it should only inherit from this thing but if it has to touch the database keep it as minimal and like narrow it down and so i would see teams of developers where i'd pair with one developer and he was like a fast specs proponent and so he'd find a way to like kind of like transmogrify whatever he was writing to like maximize right. like the the plain old ruby objects under tests and then the next day i'd pair with the other guy who would like look at all that and like roll his eyes and be like yeah this could have been like a three-line method inside of like a user model, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, It was, uh, you know, when, when testing become, gets that much attention and is that much of a source of consternation, you start to question the ROI on this as an activity. If you're spending two, twice as much time either arguing about or fighting with uh, or trying to keep straight, you know, what is the right way to write tests? Uh, you're, you're definitely losing.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's a sentiment in, in that time period where, it was almost like, uh, people went too far into, into saying that like your test suite was like the, uh, output of, you know, like the craft that you were doing. And like, that is like, that is what you should focus on versus, you know, either the production code or, uh, you know, like the user, the user value from the actual app.
1: There was a virtue to it. You know, another irony of this era is that, um, even though we were being paid by businesses to build websites <laughs> for the most part, mm-hmm. I think that there was a tidiness to your job as an engineer thinking of like, you know, my responsibility, my inputs are requirements and my outputs are code and tests that prove the code works and then I hand it off to the next person. Right. And the irony is like at that same time, we had this cross current of also make it very Englishy to kind of like, you know, buttress its value as that social proof. hmm even though that makes it somewhat less technically rigorous or even fit to purpose. And so at the time, this is maybe, uh, 2013, 2014, I'd have to go and pull it up, but Kent Beck tweeted something kind of like relatively benign and flippant by today's standards of like, Oh, you know, like, remember we're getting, we're all paid to write production code, not, not to, not paid to write tests, so maybe right. think about you know the, the the value of that, right? And I remember like a lot of people were like, "Oh my God, Kent Beck gave up on testing, and like you know the dream is dead," and like there's a lot of gnashing of teeth over that. Mm-hmm. And I remember f- feeling a feeling in my heart at the time that I do not feel now. <laughs> so something definitely changed in the water. Yeah, there's one other example or issue with RSpec that we haven't touched on, which is like learning how to program is hard. It's a lot. And if you've learned Ruby and you know everything about how classes and modules work and how methods and procs and lambdas work and how arguments and quad, quad arguments keyword arguments and block parameters work, uh, and, and you understand scoping rules and you understand switch and case versus if and else and all this other stuff. And you always get the right number of ends at the bottom of the structures that you build. And then you, someone hands you RSpec you may as well know nothing because now you've got a DSL that is informed by 15 years of agile coaching history. That is like you said, mostly vestigial and it is uh, not introspectable. If you solar graph or something like that, or VS code Ruby extension to like navigate your code base, like those are no no longer going to be very helpful to you to like find your way around. The scoping rules are super confusing, right? Like if I write code that's inside of a describe block, it's going to run at a totally different time. And only one time as, as RSpec builds the tree of my tests, as opposed to if I run it inside of a it block, and then that's like that's the actual test part and that runs at test time, right? Like yeah. all of these little rules, much less like, forget about state and everything. Now, like when we talk about trying to be more inclusive as an industry and uh, lower the barrier of entry, I think that like we should really look hard at at the value proposition that RSpec gives us, and say like, are we just making it like needlessly difficult for newcomers yeah, to yeah. figure this thing out?
0: Yeah, and I know there's kind of a infamous uh, Nate Berkopec tweet where he took a screenshot of the RSpec documentation, and uh, you know the RSpec documentation is one of these like self-referential things where the documentation is written you know in its own. Syntax, right? So, like, you can.
1: I, I think it's a. Is it still on Relish app, the Cucumber yeah. uh, runner site? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, you know, Nate has written like, you know, given that I'm not a computer, when I read, you know, the RSpec docs, like, then it takes me twice as long to understand as if it would, you know, just been written in English instead of uh, a code block that describes itself, and that that definitely feels like a programmer, like, you know, I need to write Ruby in Ruby that you know can a self-executing program type thing where it's, it's, it's not serving the end customer. It's more of like tailored for the maintainers of the project. And, uh, yeah, I think that it it is interesting. Like why, like, why, uh, like, how could, how could we, like, if we say that programming is hard and writing tests is even harder, like there's so much, um, material and time and energy given to learning to program, but hardly anything around like learning to test by comparison. Mm-hmm. It's it's
1: hard not to listen to your, you know, explanation of kind of, you know, the documentation, Nate's take on it, and not just think that this can't this this is just another example of smart software people seeing a social problem. Yeah. And thinking like technology can solve this. So, like, we're going to build this technical structure that they are going to have to rinse and repeat ad infinitum uh, to 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 help them have a, a conversation to get this particular outcome. Whereas, you know, the, the the harder thing is like, just what if programmers were either incentivized or trained to be very value oriented and very friendly?
0: Right, right. <laughs> yeah. If in, if instead of uh, you know learning a new programming language. Uh, We had to empathize with uh, someone and, uh, you know, view them as an equally valuable part of the team, despite the fact that they, you know, are not uh, slinging code with you. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't sound as fun as, you know, installing a new uh, gem that will solve all the problems. So I think I think maybe in the past um, I would have been the type of person that would have said Rails and or Ruby like. They should use RSpec as the default because it is sort of the community de facto, and for years and years it sort of held out, right? And and MiniTest is what is actually sort of used by these kind of the two the two core projects, right? By mm-hmm. by Ruby itself, and then uh, Rails also uh, you know has its own set of test utilities, but they're at the core based on on MiniTest at least in the yep. the default um, Rails sense. And now, I mean, after our conversation and after thinking about it more, like it does seem like that, that was probably a very unpopular decision that was probably good because I don't think you could ever go back. Like if they had mm-hmm. switched to our spec and now we're saying that like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's maybe wrong with our spec that, you know, if we, if we, if we use the device from, you know, men in black and wipe everyone's, uh, memory and say like, Hey, there's a new framework out called Ruby on rails. And these are the tools used to write tests. We probably wouldn't, uh, need RSpec, spec, but I think you, I don't think you could like put the genie back in the bottle if you had had switched that. So in a way it's giving me some appreciation for what must have been a really difficult, like line to hold. If you were the maintainers of Ruby and rails in, you know, the, the early 2010s when, you know you've got like people saying like, you know, 70% of the community is, is using this tool. Right. Like why, why is it not the default? And I'm sure there was probably similar arguments of, of, uh, onboarding and how do we make it more approachable if like, well, if everyone is installing this gem that, you you know, why is it not just built in? That's, I think it's, a one way to think about it in, in more concrete
1: terms is, uh, if you think, uh, if you think of, a. An application like a rails application having two identical test suites Mm -hmm. one of them is an rspec and one of them is a mini test and just for a moment assume like 100 code coverage and all of them are kind of perfect assertions it is you know in my experience more likely that it would be easier to take the mini test and extract it into rspec in fact you could probably even write a tool to like generate realistic looking rspec from it than it is to figure out how you would take the RSpec and recombobulate it into kind of symmetrical looking JUnit style tests that were clear, that had like good code examples. Yeah. Now, part of it's because RSpec's very feature rich, but I think at, at the end of the day, a, a DSL, a domain-specific language, it's an acronym we've been using without really defining it, that is um, implemented as like, it's public API to you is like, pass me a bunch of strings and procs that's a high entropy system and it's just really hard to go to a low entropy state from that and classes and methods are a low entropy state that are very introspectable and very useful from a tooling perspective, but also just like way more cognitively, like, you know, something you can understand.
0: They're more boring as I would say, and boring
1: being virtuous and not, not. Yes. uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a liberating constraint, I think. Yeah. So when you, when we talk about, you know, is it, is it good that Rails, um, uses mini test. Ruby, uh, the Ruby uh, repo, if you go to Ruby, Ruby still has like a, uh, I don't know the state of this, I don't know the story, but like has the Ruby spec specification, which is an R spec ease. I don't know if it's actually R spec, but like I was actually having to read some of that recently and and it was difficult for me to parse out what was going on in some cases. And that's because I'm not used to R spec, but it did give me this exact same, you know, thought that you just uh, shared. And honestly, I think a lot of my complaints about mini tests were really complaints about like, Rails built in testing facilities for a long time, like through Rails mm-hmm. four, maybe even Rails five, but around Rails five, folks like Eileen and Matthew Draper, and Matt Jones, Aaron, they invested a lot to like make not only like Rails uh, subclasses of mini test test, very, very like robust, fault tolerant, feature rich. Systems testing came along, which was like you know, a really natural extension. They changed how people thought about controller tests, so those were less problematic. Uh, The test runner that ships with Rails now—if you go to like bin rails test—like it's it's competitive with RSpec in terms of being able to run a single test or run at a particular line or run a particular name of a test. And so, like things are just like a lot better now than they used to be. And so, what you know, seven eight years ago, looking at RSpec, be like, well, the CLI is really
0: wonderful. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, you you know, you would you would find people that would port an entire test suite. So that they could have, you know, run by line number or like the, you know, the tick, tick only, fl- only failures option. Right. That's like, right. that's a re- that's a reason to make this bigger, you know, more, um, impactful change of like, what is your underlying test suite is, is, you know, because it has this command line feature.
1: And, uh, Nick Corantro had a mini test wrapper CLI that I have forgotten the name to, that I don't believe he continued to support. Um, but I, I was actually texting with Aaron just before joining today because, um, you know, he, he knows we love to talk about RSpec. Um, and uh, I proposed to him like, hey, would you like to pair with me on like a little CLI that just wraps mini test? Mm-hmm. You know, that basically does a lot of the stuff that the Rails one does, but without requiring Rails. Um, because I think that is the last thing. Because Minitest right, doesn't come right. with any command line stuff at all. It's just this auto-runnable. It all runs at exit. So if you know what kernel.at exit is, like, you know, you have Minitest auto-run, and then at exit, literally everything happens is when all your tests run. And so it's like a fragile state from a runtime perspective. So having a CLI that wraps it in its own process with its own arguments and options and so forth yeah. um, is appealing. But yeah. somebody just needs to build it. And I highly doubt it's going to be that much work.
0: Yeah. I think that raises an interesting question that I'd like to pose to you specifically. Um, and I think probably anyone that, uh, knows you from the Ruby world is familiar with the the standard RB project. Um, that I think you're, I don't, I don't know what you're, you'd officially tell yourself as the, the creator or the, the lead person on, but, um, I'm kind of curious what you think it would take to, um, to basically like, uh, make a make your own sort of test tool suite and i know you have started some of this that would sort of make it uh like uh how should i say this um like what would it take to beat our spec and i think uh, yeah i think like the command line stuff you talked about is one and i think mocks are another one and i know you've you've got a you've got your own um mock library you've got your own um uh, sort of factory fixture answer. And so like do you think do you think we'll see uh sort of the the third option that is really uh just a nice wrapper around mini tests that makes it so that you know choosing our spec is uh very clearly like a no I
1: I uh I'll take that uh as a challenge because I think I'm I'm really good at rolling my own stuff when I don't like what's on the menu. Right. Uh, So I've got a lot of little gems, a lot of little npm packages everywhere. You know, you you mentioned uh, I have a mocking library uh, I wrote last year called Mocktail, uh, and it is, in my opinion, the very, very best test double library that Ruby has ever had, uh, just based on my what I've learned over the years and how much I care about a very particular and arcane way to do test driven development. Uh, I've got you know uh, I don't like Factory Bot either. We could have a whole another episode just on things I've seen go wrong with Factory Bot, and I've got a. uh, uh, Another library called test data that that takes a totally different approach to, to managing test data. And you know, I could totally imagine myself based on this conversation going and spending my weekend building um, you know, that mini test CLI wrapper, right? Yep. To, I mean, to to go build that.
0: And then you just need a meta a meta gem that, you know, installs and, all, all five of these gems with the latest version, and <laughs> you're good to go.
1: And that that's the hard part, right? As I don't know at what point it becomes a stack. Or just like a certain number of maybe it's just like a vanity on my part, but I kind of feel like uh, I, I I specialize in building tools for people who've been burned badly by mm. the the kind of dominant path, yeah. Because that marketing is way easier than the DHH style of marketing with like slick demos and you know fancy language and uh, good looking designed websites, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: It's it's sort of like so, the sidekick so- model, right? It's like battle hardened and like I have the scars you know, don't make the mistakes that I did.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and Mike has built a business on it in part because sidekick is very focused and serves a real, you know, uh, important business need. And here, I think I just sort of got this like Island of misfit toys where I just throw all like eight of my test related gems into my gem file. Mm -hmm. And I'm mostly worried about myself And, and I probably should take another look at, um, what's the bigger story here so that you can give somebody at least a batteries included approach. Yeah. But to, I wouldn't want anyone to leave this conversation without thinking, like, honestly, if you're in Rails, you already kind of have that. Like, there's a, there's a stuff at the margins mm-hmm. where it's just like, if you, you know, don't feel bad for just using, like, the Rails testing stuff that's in the Rails guides. It works pretty well. I yeah. use it. Um, yeah. And everything else is kind of like a pretty subtle nuanced augmentation at this point, in my opinion.
0: Cool. After our chat, if I asked you, uh, RSpec, do we need it? Yes or No. No. And it's going to be a <laughs> no from me. So there you have it.
1: I, I I really appreciate the conversation, Matt. I think this is important stuff to tussle with. It's not like if, if you use RSpec today, you're not going to like just throw it away no, like tomorrow no, and, no. and go all mini test. But if you're starting something new, I think it's worth thinking about this stuff and, and questioning our biases, our past experiences. It was really hard for me to drop RSpec, um, but I'm glad I did.
0: Show notes, links, and a transcript can be found at yagni.fm. Today's guest was Justin Searles. You can find Justin on Twitter at Searles. And I'm your host, Matt Swanson. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Swanson. Until next time, just remember, you ain't gonna need it.